All right, open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 3, Ruth chapter 3, and we're going to be in all 18 verses together. As you make your way there in your Bibles, uh, we're continuing through an incredible book in the Old Testament, just four chapters long, but it's a gem within the Old Testament. All scripture, I mean, is, is profitable. It's a great blessing in this one as well. It's a book that highlights a God who is able to take tragedies and trials and turn them into triumphs. He's an amazing God that we worship and serve who, in the midst of grief, is the one who provides abundant grace. Our God doesn't just give us spoonfuls of grace. He gives us bucketfuls and bucketfuls of grace, and it is abounding and abounding. He's the kind of God who can take a mess, give a message to it. He's the kind of God who can take a test and give us a testimony. And we've been watching as God's been working in the life of a woman by the name of Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Uh, in the chapter 1, just to catch you up to where we are in chapter 3, we learn that uh, Naomi at the beginning of the book, had a husband by the name of Elimelech, and they had two sons, Malon and Kilion. They lived in Bethlehem, but they lived during dark and difficult days in Israel's history. Dark days because this was the days when there were judges and there was much moral and spiritual decline in the nation of Israel. The end of the book of Judges says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king. Not because they did not have a king. God was supposed to be their king. But they had rejected him and they experienced the consequences of their sin. But it was also difficult because in Bethlehem at that time, you know, Elimelech and Naomi, they've got to provide for their family somehow. There's famine in the land, so they take them to a foreign nation. They go over to Moab, and there, in this foreign place, the sons take on foreign wives, Moabite wives. You got Orpah, you have Ruth, and within the first five verses, I mean, we're introduced to this family, and tragedy hits immediately. Heartbreaking. Naomi's husband passes, Elimelech. The two sons, Malon and Kilion, pass away. And all that Naomi has left is her two daughters-in-law. And so she hears some good news that bread is once again returned to Bethlehem. God has visited his people. And so she takes her two daughters-in-law and they make their way over. They take a journey there and she realizes on the way, listen, girls. He turns to to Ruth and Orpah, it's better if you guys go back. Go back to your family. Go back to your home. Go back to your gods. Go back so that you can find rest, according to chapter 1, verse 9, in the household of your own husbands. She prays that God would, would deal kindly with them and provide for them in this capacity. But Orpah, she agrees, and she goes back, but Ruth clings to her. She will not let her mother-in-law go. And she says, where you will go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She says, you, the place of your burial will be my own. In other words, you can't get rid of me. I'm sticking around. But at the end of the chapter, we learn Naomi enters back into Bethlehem. And she's been so hurt by the tragedy that has rocked her life, the loss of her husband, the loss of her sons, that as they ask the people of the town, isn't that Naomi? We haven't seen her for 10 years. And she says, don't call me Naomi, because Naomi means pleasant. She says, call me Mara, which means bitter. She says, God has dealt bitterly with me. I left full. I had a husband. I had sons. I had the had the potential, the hope of grandchildren to further the name and the inheritance. And she says, I've come back empty. But how many of you know, 
in those most difficult times, in those times of tragedy and hardship, while we would never pray for them or even enjoy them in the moment, we are reminded those are the times when the grace of God and the love of God, the loyal love, the kindness, the mercies of God become most evident. And we're invited to lean into the presence of God who provides us more than we need. Everything is available in him. And the circumstances begin to change from chapter 1 to 2. If you recall, uh, Naomi did, really didn't realize what a blessing Ruth would be as she heads back. I mean, she's full of grief and the circumstances begin to change. God begins to move. And Ruth, if you remember, knowing that you've got two widows, you've got a foreigner, Ruth is a Moabite, and she turns to her mother-in-law and says, hey, can I have permission to go and glean in the fields? God had made this provision for those who were needy in the nation of Israel, those who were foreigners, those who were, um, uh, those, those who were orphans, those who were widows. You could go and glean in the fields after those who were harvesting and any grain that was left on the ground you could pick up and God provided for them through these means. And, and then we learn it just happened that Ruth was gleaning in the field of a man by the name of Boaz. And if you remember, Boaz is a special guy because he is of the same clan, the same family. He's a relative of Naomi's husband who had passed away, Elimelech, and it just happens. How does it just happen? God's sovereign over these circumstances. It just happens. She's in that field, and Boaz makes it to the place where he sees her as he comes home, and he notices her, and he asks his servants, who is that? (laughs) Tell me more about her. And he shows her favor, and God gives Ruth favor in the eyes of Boaz, and romance is starting to bloom. As you get to see the story unfold, you get to see that he cares for her. He he tells his servants, make sure you take care. Make sure she gets everything that she needs. Allow her to go along with the other ladies and to pick up grain. And she goes home that day at the end of chapter 2, and we learn that she has an ephah of grain. In other words, she's got more than enough for her and her mother-in-law for the days ahead. And if you remember, as Naomi sees her come home with all of this, she says, and who has shown you kindness? And, and Naomi's circumstances are, about, are changing and her perspective is beginning to change. God is taking that tragedy and he's giving her grace and she's starting to see God is at work. God is moving and he's moving in a bigger way than she even imagines in this moment because the book of Ruth is significant in the fact that as you take a look at the, the, the genealogy of Jesus, Ruth and Boaz are going to show up in that very gene- genealogy in which from their family line will come the one who will seek and save the lost, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And so as the end of chapter 2 comes about, we, we know something is starting to happen. God is starting to move. Romance is starting to bloom. And that's where we pick up in chapter 3 as we're going to consider how God continues to make his sovereign care evident, continues to make his abundant grace evident, continues to make his unconditional love evident in these hard times. Ruth chapter 3 reads this way, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. 
Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself and and put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor and do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. She said to her, all that you say to me, I I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly, uncovered his feet and laid down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled, turned himself and there a woman was lying at his feet and he said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I, Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if you will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. And so she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley. And laid it on her, then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. The word of the Lord. So we get to continue to walk through this incredible book. Uh, We're reminded as we walk through chapter by chapter by chapter, the grace of God becomes more evident. The presence of God that accompanies, uh, well, which provides peace that transcends all understanding becomes more evident. The abundant grace of God becomes more and more evident. And my prayer is that as you read the story, you would not just see that, but As you continue in your life and through your circumstances, the grace of God would be more and more evident. His loving kindness and his mercies would become more and more evident. His sovereign care over the smallest details of your life would become more and more evident. And even in times of great grief or unexpected tragedy, you would know God is watching over you. His plans are good and they are for his glory. How does God continue to work through these circumstances and continue to turn a tragedy into a great triumph and provide his grace in the midst of their grief? First, God makes a matchmaker out of Naomi. <laughs> if you've ever seen the, 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 the play or the, you know, the movie, um, Fiddler on the Roof, matchmaker, matchmaker, find me a match. This is Naomi here. She's a, she's a matchmaker. And it, we get to see how God uses her as a matchmaker to give some direction to her daughter-in-law. It, it, we begin and we get to see it in verse 1. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? The way that uh, she 
plays matchmaker is first by greeting her, her daughter-in-law. She calls her my daughter. Now, we can overlook that real quickly and say, well, of course she calls her my daughter. That's her daughter-in-law. But I want you to know she's more than a daughter-in-law to Naomi. This is a young woman who's given up so much, given up her land, her family, her way of life, even her opportunity to have a husband, perhaps, and to have children in the land that she's from. She's given up so much in order to be with Naomi, and she calls her daughter because she wants what's best for her, like a daughter. Every parent in the room, or grandparent, or someone who's caring for someone, you want what's best for your children, you want to raise them in a godly home. You want to prepare them for life ahead of them. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, a marriage. It's interesting to note, I was reading a statistic today, that of young adults, even in today's culture, 87% of young adults expect to be married someday. And the statistic also showed 82% believe that uh, their marriage is going to last a lifetime. Even in today's culture, you have a, a, a high amount of individuals who believe they're going to be married, and for a majority of our children, as they grow up, a lot of them, a majority of them, will be married if it's according to the will of God. I don't know about you, but I haven't met a lot of people who have been called to be single by choice. There are some folks who say, no, God has called me to be single by choice. I've only met two people who have told me, listen... I could get married, but I feel as if God has given me the, the gift, the blessing to be single for life and to serve him in this capacity. It was a seminary professor who was single for life and also um, a guy at our last church who I had met, single for life, serving the Lord in Christian community. And it's just uh, not, you don't see that every day. And so she has a daughter-in-law. She wants what's best for her. She greets her as my daughter. But secondly, as we continue to read, she expresses to Ruth that she has her best interest in mind. And the way she does that is by asking a rhetorical question. As we've just read, it says, Shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Naomi says what's best for you is that you find security in a husband. Remember the day and age we're living in in these times. If a woman didn't have a husband, she didn't have someone who was providing for her. The men would, were the ones who provided uh, financially. They go out to work. They provide security. And so, especially in this time, in this day and age, Naomi wants what's best for her. Even in chapter 1, verse 9, if you remember, when she prayed that prayer over Orpah and Ruth, it was a prayer. She said, may the Lord deal kindly with you and give you rest in the household of your husband. But the prayer was one that she was expecting a Moabite husband to fulfill. But isn't it interesting as the, the, the story unfolds that God is actually going to answer that prayer, at least on behalf of Ruth, we don't know what happens to Orpah, but he's going to do it in a way she would have never expected. Isn't it interesting that when we came to the end of chapter 1, Naomi, who's full of grief and is so overwhelmed, she has Ruth with her, but she's so overwhelmed, she says, I came with no, I, I left with, with, with much, and now I have nothing, but her perspective is beginning to change. If you remember, she said that prayer for Orpah and Ruth, but she said, I have nothing to offer you. Can I get pregnant again? Even if I could, would you wait for, for those sons to grow up? She'd believe that she had nothing to offer, and now look at her as the 
sovereign care of God becomes more evident as the abundant grace of God becomes more evident, as God's loyal love becomes more evident, her perspective is beginning to shift and change, and she sees herself now as a matchmaker, matchmaker. And now she turns to her daughter-in-law and says, it's, it's, it's good for you. I'm going to seek out for you what is good so that you can find security, you can find rest in the household of your husband. And she recommends Boaz, and she says to him, now Boaz, Right? It's a relative whose young women you were with. Is he not our relative? Now, at the end of chapter 2, when Ruth had revealed who the man was who had showed her favor, um, she had told her this is, in verse 20, she said, this is a close relative of ours. And that term there, relative, in chapter 2 is the term in the Hebrew, goel, um, in Ancient Israel, there was a custom uh, in which a close relative, often referred to as a kinsman redeemer, could redeem possessions or land of someone, or they could marry someone who, a relative, uh, could marry someone um, who lost their husband, and they could further the family line and to provide accordingly. Let me read to you this. Comment, uh, Boaz was a close relative from one commentator, but more than that, he was a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman is relative, redeemer is someone who buys back. He could act as a redeemer of property and persons. He could act as a levar, a Latin term for brother-in-law. Boaz could redeem by fulfilling the Levirate law, which required a brother of a deceased man to marry his widow and raise up a son to his name. You see that in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 10. Though Boaz was not a brother to Malon, you'll learn in chapter 4 that that was Ruth's husband, Ruth's deceased husband, he was a close relative to the family and could act as a lever as he so desired. And so it's not that he was required to do it, but he had the ability to do it. And that custom is being pointed out here as we continue through. And she says, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. You know Boaz, the one in whose field you've been, you've been going and collecting grain. You know Boaz, the one who showed favor to you. Guess where he is tonight? He is winnowing grain in the, on the threshing floor. Now, in a moment, she's going to recommend that Ruth goes there but I need you to understand this. Uh, the threshing floor was not the place where women would go. And if a woman was going to go there, there's plenty of opportunities for danger. Nevertheless, Naomi has this in her mind, and she trusts, Lord willing, Boaz enough that Ruth is going to be cared for in the appropriate manner. Now, as we're going to read these details, it might shock some of us. It certainly shocked those original readers. Is this exactly what Naomi is recommending? Because... Things could turn very wrong. Things could turn very bad. If um, Ruth is going to do what Naomi tells her, what could happen? Boaz could reject her. Boaz could say, get out of my field and never come back. She could be abused in some particular way. And so we get to see these directions. And let me read to you them accordingly. She says, prepare yourself, anoint yourself. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down the threshing floor. She's going to look good as she heads to the threshing floor. She adds some perfume. She looks her best. Now, part of it is trying to be attractive for Boaz. Another side of it could also be this was what you would do after a time of mourning. 
if you read about David, who after his um, son had died, if there was a time of mourning, you would wear certain clothes that identified you as one who was mourning. For women, they wouldn't wear cosmetics, but after that time was done, you would wash yourself and move on. You read that in 2 Samuel 12, 20. It says, so David arose from the ground, and it's the same language. He washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. So it's very possible that Ruth has been mourning, has been wearing these mourning clothes, but now as she goes out into the field, it's time to move on. And as she goes out, as she puts on these new, as she puts on clothes and garments and anoints herself with some perfume, she is um, told to go down to the field. And then it says, put on your best garment, go down. And so she's told to anoint herself, but also she is told here to be attentive. Um, uh, but do not make, your, make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating. And then it says, then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall uncover his feet and lie down. These are very specific instructions. She's to go to the threshing floor, wait until after he's eaten and drinking because guys, they tend to be more content and happy after they had some food in their belly after a long day. Wait until he's cheerful, wait until he's happy and then wait until he lies down and then come there You're going to uncover his feet and you're going to lie there. Now, why does she need to be very attentive? Because this is the nighttime and you don't want to go and find the wrong guy. (laughs) Uncover his feet and he says, who are you? And she says, who are you? I don't know you. I'm looking for another guy. And so she needs to be very attentive to the details here. Pay attention to where Boaz, after he eats, goes to lie and then uncover his feet. And then it says, make yourself available to him in the sense that it says, do what he tells you to do. Now, why would Naomi to tell her to do that? She's not um, saying anything morally compromising. No, she trusts Boaz to be a man of ethics, a man of morality. And she believes, as will happen, that Boaz is not going to mistreat her in any way, but he's going to take care of her. What is she basically doing here? Why does it say go to his feet? Well, we don't know exactly if this was a custom, but potentially it's a way for her to propose marriage to him. She is saying, as she lies at his feet, as we're going to see the story unfold, she is saying, I want to see if you are interested in being married to me. And so, She agrees to everything that she is told in, oops, flipped over, in chapter 3. It says, then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, lie down. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. I don't know about you. This is a woman who is a foreigner in the land. She's been with Naomi for not too long, and this is the direction that she's given, there would be some of us who would say, okay, Naomi, I'll listen to you to an extent, but uncover his feet, lie down next to him, I don't know about this or that. She says, I agree to do everything that you've instructed, everything that you have told me. How are the circumstances beginning to change? God is working as he's using Naomi to be a matchmaker. 
her countenance is beginning to change. She sees herself as useful as she begins to give instructions to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, to say, I'm looking to help you find security rest in the household of your own husband. If I could ask just a, a few questions as we get to see this story unfold. The first one is, uh, what makes a good matchmaker? And have you or someone else tried to be a matchmaker? Did it work out well or, <laughs> or not? What makes a good matchmaker? This is where, where we're at. Let's we draw out the story. I'm sure there's some folks who have tried. Come on now. Yeah, yeah. It's good to know who you're matching together. Good to know what their personalities are like, what their differences are like, their faith are like, certainly. Yeah. Good to know who you're matching up. Anything else? What makes a good match? Anyone had a matchmaker bring you together with the spouse that you're with? Or you say, they messed up bad, you know. <laughs> what makes a good matchmaker? Yeah, yeah. because in the end, it's the Lord, and you can't blame the matchmaker. He's, they're just there trying to bring two people together. <laughs> There's a big part of the Lord leading the process, certainly. Yeah, Steve? Yeah, yeah. Knowing God's design, yeah. Knowing God's design for marriage, knowing God's purpose, when you're putting together a good match, you want him to be... Of like faith, you want them to be on the same path to serve the Lord, certainly. Yeah. Anything else? Oh. <laughs> and it worked out, so, oh, very neat. That's exciting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. So you're saying, Daniel, don't force it. If I see a couple, I'd be like, we're going to bring them together. <laughs> um, uh, next question. What advice might you give parents when it comes to preparing their children to be married someday in accordance with God's will? That's what... Naomi is, in essence, doing. She's preparing her to find a mate. What advice would you give to parents? What advice do you, would you give uh, to your younger self if you were preparing your children for what lies? If it's God's will, of course. Yeah, Carlos. Carlos is saying God comes first in the relationship, and sometimes if you take a step back from that relationship, you really get to see, is God first or is this person first, and if, am I forcing it accordingly? Yeah, Lupe? Yeah. 
Yeah. So just going back to the word of God in regards to the biblical roles and responsibilities of husbands and wives, God's original design for marriage, it goes such a far ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Set up accountability as you uh, set your boundaries in that dating uh, period or that courting period, certainly. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, prayer goes a long way. Depend upon the Lord, wait on God. And hear his answer. Yeah, anything else? Yeah. <laughs> Knock some sense into him, Adam. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> anything else? Anything else? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Is that all the advice? Yeah. Hey, this is good stuff. I need to, I need to add some advice as we're prepping our children. I think, I, I mean, you've been to different weddings and we've done different weddings. And it's always fascinating to see the parents who are at the wedding telling the groom or the bride, we've been praying for you since our little one was a child or before they, while they were still in the womb. And I think that's an encouraging thing to be, hey, we've been praying not just for our child, we've been praying for the spouse of our child from the very beginning. And that's pretty significant. Well, also, um, as God's beginning to answer Naomi's prayer in an unexpected way from chapter 1, verse 9, wanted to ask this question. Um, how has God answered your prayers or provided for your needs in unexpected ways? Anyone want to share? Naomi was praying that God would provide them rest in the household of their own husbands, but she was expecting a Moabite husband. For Ruth, it is going to turn out to be Boaz. What do you do? Yeah, Amy. Yeah. 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 
So I'm hearing just get the providence of God over all that from the scripture you're reading to the field you're in and how God just works and moves. Yeah, in the field, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's neat. That's neat. Yeah. Anyone else want to share unexpected ways God has answered your prayers or worked in your life? Ways you wouldn't have expected. Yeah, Nikki. Yeah. Yeah. It's always neat. God's working in unexpected ways and opportunities and employment. Um, and I think it's just a reminder. Sometimes God closes some doors, opens other ones, and in ways you never expected, you're in different places doing different things. I think as we got started, I would have never imagined or dreamed I'd end up in Eugene, or Springfield, Oregon, um, living in Arizona. And uh, the Lord has a way of, of working in unexpected ways. We're all here tonight, and God has brought us through unique circumstances to get us to where we are right now. And what the wonderful thing about a book like Ruth is it reminds us so much about God and his sovereignty, not just over the big things, but over the little things, the smallest details, that God is working behind the scenes as the director of it almost seems as a movie, and he's setting everything up, moving the details around. He just happened to be... Uh, seeing in that field Ruth that day. She just happened to be uh, gleaning in that field. And, and all these circumstances have to play out in order for all these things to unfold. Why? Because God is at work in the midst of the details. It's wonderful to think God's always present. Yeah, Lupe. Oh, yeah. 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 
Oh, yeah. And certainly Ruth and Naomi never saw how the, the bigger picture, what a wonderful thing she finds out when she gets to heaven. Whoa, I was the great-great-grandmother of King David. I was the one who would have a son who would be the great, uh, or who would be the great-grandparent of David, but then would come the line of, with Jesus. Man, that's absolutely incredible, certainly. Yeah, God's working in amazing ways, and even in the smallest hardships or difficulties we face Who knows what God is doing in order to accomplish his great purposes? And maybe later, even when we get to heaven, we'll learn about the fruit that will come from the hardships and difficulties we could have never imagined at the very beginning. And so, how does God continue to work? He works in the details. He demonstrates his sovereign care. He he, he shows his abounding grace and his loving kindness. The key term that we see in this book is the word hesed. It's where we get the word for love, but it's a loyal love. It's a kindness. It's a, a mercy. And we, it's, a, it's the God's love for us. And we get to see that love as it's going to become more evident between Ruth and, and Boaz. And so how do we continue to see God work through the circumstances um, by means of giving, giving a Ruth favor, continued favor in the eyes of Boaz? The text continues in verse 6, and it says, so she went down to the threshing floor. Ooh, now it's starting to get exciting. I mean, she's received these directions. She says, I'm going to do everything you've told me. And now she goes to the threshing floor. I don't know if you can feel the tension. It's pretty tense because she's been told what she's going to do. And I can imagine she's nervous. Uh, she's cleaned up. She's looking good with her clothes. She's got the perfume on her. She makes her way over and she has to patiently pay attention to what Boaz is doing. Perhaps when she gets there, he's finishing up the work for the day and he goes and he eats and she watches him. This is a cheerful time. This is harvest season. This is where you eat, you drink, and you are merry indeed. Now, let me remind you, there was famine in the land for some time. The reason she came back to Bethlehem in the first place is because God has visited his people, and now there's harvest again in the land. This is an exciting time. So she's there on the threshing floor. She does everything that her mother-in-law instructs her, and it says, And after Boaz had eaten and drinking, his heart was cheerful, and he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Now, for us, I don't know, there's some farmers in the room. And for the farmers in the room or those who perhaps grew up on a farm and you don't just go get your groceries uh, at the grocery store like Albertsons or Safeway like I do, you know the work that goes into planting, sowing, and harvesting and, and how much you depend upon the Lord in order for all that to happen. I really believe as, you're re- as I'm reading this that I think I would be much more appreciative when I'm at the dinner table thanking the Lord for the food that's on my table if I really recognize how dependent I would have been on how much rain I got this last season. I think I would be much more grateful and I would express in my prayers thanksgiving and ask him to provide provision for the next day, the weeks and the months ahead if I could really see all the hard work and how much farmers and those Um, who work in that field, agriculture, rely on God who provides the rain so that food can get to our grocery stores and get on our tables. And that's really the reason why he's cheerful. He's grateful God has provided. He's provided food, and we 
should remember that as we get to eat, drink, and be merry as well. And it says, And after he had eaten and drank, his heart was cheerful. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And it says she came softly, gently, and uncovered his feet and lay down. Can you picture this? I mean, she walks over there. He's past, It's been a hard day. He's eaten, had a good meal in his tummy, so he's tired. You know, you get that food in you, you're, you're exhausted, you pass out, you cover your feet, you know, get, 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 get all warm in there, and then you go to rest, and somebody uncovers your feet and lays next to it, and it says, now it happened at midnight that the man was startled. Can you picture it? <laughs> He wakes up probably because his feet are uncovered and he can feel the cool breeze on them. And he turned himself and there was a woman. The, the Hebrew there invites us to behold. Take a look at what he saw. Now we are involved in the story. We know what's unfolding. This is Boaz in the middle of the night waking up and here he's startled and here is a woman lying at his feet. Anybody have young children in the room or you remember when you had young children? And you fall asleep one day, and then all of a sudden, you know somebody's around you. You open your eyes, they're right there, right? I mean, they think this is the moment of what's going on. There is a woman right there. Who in the world is that? He's coming to himself. He's a bit startled, and he says, who are you? I was uh, listening to David Platt, who was talking about this text, and he, he was talking about, I always imagine what how he said that, like, who are you? Like, was it a, uh, uh, a startling, who are you? Was it like a whisper? Was it like, who are you? <laughs> like, how did he respond there? And so he sa says, who are you? He doesn't know what has happened. And she answered. Listen how she answers. She said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. She expresses humility. She is at his feet, and she says, I'm one of your servants. You're the one who has taken care of me. You're the one who has shown me favor in your fields. And, and she says, take your maidservant under your wing. Now, what did Naomi instruct her to do? She said, wait to see what he, he tells you. But she goes ahead and moves forward, and what she's basically doing is proposing, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. If you recall back in chapter 2, when um, Boaz expressed a blessing over Ruth, this is what he said to her, chapter 2, verse 12, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, listen to that, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And here she is saying, God, as I come under his wings, is going to provide a husband for me, and I'm asking you, I'm your maidservant. May I come under your wings as God provides for me. And what she's doing is taking that blessing and applying it to him. Isn't it amazing how God provides for his people through his people? You see that evident in the church, I pray, that as God provides for your needs, meets your needs, encourages you when you need it, pray as people come alongside you and pray for you, and they minister to you with the gifts that they've been given, and as they show you care and give you comfort in those times when you need it the most, God is the one who provides people to do just that. And what Ruth is asking, let me come under your wing. She's proposing marriage to him. Um, a few years back, at a previous church, I was teaching this in a Bible study, and there was a, a couple 
who was older in their late 80s. Now they're like in their 90s, still married today. I think he's 95, she's like 93, but just a fun couple. And I still remember um, talking about this text and I said, Ruth, is, she seems to be a bit aggressive as she proposes marriage to him because he doesn't propose marriage to her. She seems a bit aggressive. And the older lady told me, no, she's not aggressive. She's assertive because that's what she had done in order to pursue the mate that she had because he was a bit more reserved in regards to his personality. And so she comes out there and she proposes marriage in this capacity. And it goes on to say, then he said, this, this is his response. Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. He responds favorably. Why? Well, because God has given Ruth favor in his eyes. And it goes on to say, for you have shown kindness at the end and at the beginning in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. That might give us a reason why Boaz hasn't proposed up to this point. She has other capable individuals. Perhaps she's going to go after a young man to pursue a, a, a marriage with and to have children with. Boaz is probably a bit older. And he says, but you haven't gone after them, whether they're poor or rich. And, and now, my daughter, do not fear. And he says this, this is Great news, I will do for you all that you request for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. The word virtuous means to be a woman of moral excellence. When you hear the word virtuous woman, you immediately have your mind go to Proverbs 31. You think of the Proverbs 31 woman, a woman of moral excellence. And so this is how he describes her. And he says this is very Attractive. Isn't it interesting that um, the older you get when you're young, sometimes what attracts you is the physical. You see somebody, you're attracted to that which is physical, but over time, what becomes most attractive isn't necessarily what's on the outside, but what's truly on the inside. And, you know, the scriptures, they, they, they tell us uh, uh, how does it go for a, who can find a, a wife that it lo- fears the Lord? Is that how it goes? Where's my quoters here? <laughs> a woman who fears the Lord, you know, it's hard to find. And that's a wonderful thing. When you find somebody who fears the Lord and you see those character traits that become more and more attractive over time, that's indeed a blessing. And so can I, before we move forward, can I open up for discussion real fast? What are those character traits in your spouse or in another person, it could be a family member, a friend, that have become most attractive to you over time. And you recognize what's, what's most precious is not necessarily what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. What are those character traits that have been a great blessing to you and others? Self-sacrifice. Putting the needs of others before our own. Yeah, yeah, Dave. Yeah, sure. Just kindness, yeah. Kindness goes a long ways. Yeah, anything else? Yeah, Carlos. There we go. He knows how he, what he's doing over here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 
unconditional love, care, kindness, certainly. Yeah. Anything else? Long suffering, patience. <laughs> Anything else you want to share? Forgiveness. Yeah. A forgiving heart. One who doesn't hold on to wrongs that have been committed against them. Yeah. Yeah. Chase. Yeah, so a genuine care and love for the other person. Yeah. Steve, were you going to say something? Yeah. So good. Someone who loves the Lord more than you goes such a long way. That's a blessing. Yeah. Anyone else wanted to share? Certainly. Just good character traits and things to look out for. You know, we're so easily attracted to the external and just going back to the internal. Lupe, you want to say anything? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So someone who, who knows God's word, is grounded in God's word, and continues to go back to it. It just goes a long way. And I'm hearing also, um, having someone in your life who has accountability, someone who's pouring into them, someone who's discipling them, that's a great blessing indeed, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, Adam. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Uh, and I think on the other side of it is just somebody who compliments you so well and their strengths are your weaknesses and someone who just cares for those things. Yeah. Humility, certainly, goes such a long way. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. And it seems as if, at this point, everything's going to work out. Uh, she got her husband. He's got a wife. Everything's going to play out accordingly. But then it says, um, verse 12, Now it is true that I am your close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. And so we're talking about this custom, this kinsman redeemer. And that's what he's talking about here. And he says this in verse 13, Stay the night. And in the morning it shall be that if you will perform the duty of a close relative for you, if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. What is he saying here? Trust the Lord. Oh, that's hard sometimes. 
wow, it looks like everything's just coming together. Wow, we're going to be married soon. You're in agreement, I'm in agreement, but there's one small thing. We've got a closer relative, and it's easy to say, we're going to force this. We're just going to make this happen. The reality is they've got to be patient and allow everything to unfold. We know the end of the story, but when you're in the midst of it, man, is it difficult sometimes to wait patiently. So he says, lie down until morning, verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Why? He's protecting her reputation. Are they in any way compromising their morality up to this point? No. He's a respectable man. She's a virtuous woman. Now, could this be dangerous? Certainly. It says, then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor And he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. Ruth is a virtuous woman, but man, she's a strong woman too. She can carry six ephahs of flour. This could be over 100 pounds. And he's stacking it on her and says, don't go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. You go ahead and take it with you. And so we get to see just God continuing to work and to move in that capacity. Um, We already talked about the kind of trait that becomes more attractive over time. Um, But what advice, if we could do this quickly, what advice might you give a young man or woman pursuing a mate when it is being able to discern their character? What should they look for? Because sometimes, you know, when you're in that dating stage, that courting stage, it can be difficult to discern character, and sometimes you can't see that till after marriage. What advice do you give in terms of how you can discern who you're going to marry? Any advice you'd give? Yeah, so it takes time. Yeah, and intentional time, right? So it's not just going watching a movie, but it's uh, getting to know each other. Yeah, so sometimes it's a step of faith and trusting the Lord. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Louie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dave. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. So their reputation, their, what their friends have to say, what their family has to say, how they get along with their mother or their father can sometimes tell a lot about them. Anything else you look for? Yeah. So does that person respect you? Do they respect what you have to say? How do they talk about you? Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, Steve. Be willing to walk away. I always hear it said it's better to, better to cry now because you don't have them than to cry later because you got them, right? <laughs> and so be willing to walk away. That's a, that's a good one.
Certainly. Anything else? This is real good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Take a look at who influences them, who they influence, and who they hang around with. It goes such a long ways. Yeah, God's working through it all, and then we get to close the text. It says in verse 16, she comes home with all of this all of this uh, grain. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? Once again, she greets her affectionately. Then she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me for he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And then it says, then she said, sit still, my daughter. Some good advice. Sit still. Have you ever been on the other side of it and a parent or someone said, sit still, wait. Maybe it's not time yet. Oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to sit still until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. He's going to take care of it. And all of this will unfold now. At this point, Ruth doesn't know if this closer relative is going to be her husband or Boaz is going to be her husband, but God is going to work it out according to his will. Can I wrap it up with this question as we close tonight? This would be this. As you patiently wait on God to provide for your needs, what have you learned to do while you wait? Whether you're waiting for your own Boaz, whether you're waiting to enter the next season of life, waiting for an opportunity. What do you do while you wait in the midst of it? Pray, yes. Yeah, yeah. So while we wait, we don't do nothing. We pray, we continue to express dependence upon the Lord. Anything else you do while you wait? Yeah, open your ears. Be willing to hear what the word of God and how he's instructing you. Certainly, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just waiting on the Lord and and His will. Yeah. Don't force it like Abraham and Sarah. You end up messing up generations upon generations, right? Yeah. That wasn't a good one. Anything else? What do you do while you wait as we close today? Yeah, seek out the counsel of spiritual authorities, those who can speak into your life, those who are grounded and rooted in the truth of God's word. It goes such a long ways. Yeah, Chase. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Um, Oh, what do you do while you wait? What do you do while you wait, Chase? In those seasons of waiting, what do you do? We talked about prayer. We talked about godly counsel. Yeah. 
And so go back to the faithfulness of God in those, in those hard season chases saying, go back to those times you prayed and the Lord was faithful and he brought you through. Go back to the word of God as you're reminded of the faithfulness of God. Yeah, Carlos. Yeah, listen to good Bible teaching and hear the truth of God's word preached and proclaimed. Amen. Well, as we close tonight, may you be reminded that God is at work even in our most hard, difficult times. And as we are in times of grief or hardship or tragedy, his grace is available, his sovereign care is available, his love is always there. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we're grateful for the story of Ruth that reminds us of your character, that you're a God who is faithful and kind, gracious and loving. You're the kind of God who, who takes our greatest difficulties and um, you add purpose to them. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand what you're doing, we're reminded that we can trust you. And so, Lord, um, wherever we're at tonight and whatever we're going to face tomorrow, we trust you, Lord. We leave our difficulties, our hardships in your hands. We pray that you would guide and direct our steps. We know that you are in charge of the very details of our lives. And so, Father, whatever you have in hold, uh, hold for us, we just give it into your hands. We're grateful that we serve a God who loves us and cares for us. We pray that these would be truths that we would, remind, we would be reminded of the rest of this week, and we give you thanks for them, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.